0: The mighty blue Marlin. You've battled for two solid hours. He jumps again. He's almost at the side of the boat. It's the moment of truth. Because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 Mercedes-Benz GLC. With a smooth nine-speed transmission, it loves to run. Set course for your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. Visit mbusa.com slash to learn more. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing.
1: You know, I've been through so many changes in my life, girl. Oh, I've been up real high where I thought I didn't need anybody. Else. Oh, and then again, I've been down real low where there was no one in my life that needed me. Thought had so much value Oh, girl Didn't really have any value at all <laughs> That I was a lonely man A man with no direction With no purpose With no one to love And no one to love me for, for me Oh, girl then you Then you came into my life you made my jagged edges smooth, you made my you made my direction so clear And you, oh woman, you became my purpose, my reason for living, girl You see, you're my heart, you're my soul, you're my strong inspiration, baby Oh, that's why I'm standing here singing and opening my arms to you I want to say, child, why don't you...
2: I know Richie, just to be close to you and welcome everybody. You listen to Canada Play a Play and this is your host, Kate Dizzle, the elixir of love, along with my partner in crime, Doctor Matthew Anderson. Welcome.
3: Hey buddy, I'm here.
2: Yes, sir. How are we doing today?
3: Good out here in Florida.
2: Well, I'm in China, so um <laughs> I'm somewhere else too today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but listen, listen, before you start laughing let's welcome start everybody to, so to the show we definitely got we definitely got a a, a, a mind opener and we're definitely oh, yeah, we definitely talking about do. all of our favorite subjects.
3: You there? So yeah, I'm he can't here. breathe when he talks about it. He can stop breathing.
2: <laughs>
3: oh no! <laughs> this is a good. This is a good subject. This is really.
2: Uh, uh, Miss Delacroix, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Are you with us?
4: I am. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Uh, welcome, welcome to welcome, the show. We got to get quick. Got to get Matthews good laughing over there because we're talking about his favorite <laughs> subject today. <laughs>
4: Well, you know, when you talk about sex, you have to get past the giggles first.
2: Oh, Okay. Well, I knew you was going to set me I, up for I, that I, I, because I, so. I was so looking maybe, at
3: that line.
2: Hopefully you can tell him something else to do uh, other than, you know, Other than giggle. Other than his <laughs> hand. <but.
3: laughs> he, well, told me, you know, he told me this a... week, Nicole, he was going to get me back. For, I set him up last week. He's, he's already working on it. <laughs> Nicole, it's really good to have you here. You've got some great stuff we're going to talk about. I'm very interested in everything you got here. Well, thank you <laughs> It looks like some really really thoughtful work you've been doing here. Well,
4: you know my my book that I wrote may have been a little bit on the cheeky and funny side, but as you've as you've been prone to. When you talk about sex, people giggle. So I find that laughter is the best way to get people to relax a little bit and actually have a discussion.
3: Well, tell tell the tell the uh, group listening what the name of the book is so that they want to check that out too.
4: Okay. Well, the name of my book is Sexual Confessional: Confidential Admissions from Social Media.
3: Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Well, can, can we start with a serious question here?
4: Absolutely. So the,
3: the first question is: um, How do you think social media has changed how we view sex and sexual relationships? That's interesting, interesting topic, and I'm I'm really loved to hear what you have to say about that.
4: Well, honestly, and and I'm looking at the younger generation and. the... People who, who are aged from 18 to about 45 is where my range is. And we have gotten to this point where social media has distorted our viewpoint. Um, anybody who's in their late 30s or early 40s will remember that the first time you had a a meeting with the opposite sex or you were trying to, to get, you know, a date or something, you had to pick up the phone, you had to call them, and you had to speak to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And social media has changed that because, yeah. well, there's so many reasons. But just among a few, the contact is way easier. You know, I remember having to build up my courage to go and talk to the guy across across the way if I thought he was cute. Mm-hmm. Now you can yeah. just send him a tweet and it's it's a much easier way of contacting someone. And especially with people who are under the age of 30, the private life has become public. Anybody who's been mm-hmm. on Instagram or Tumblr for less than five minutes will tell you that they have far too much information about private people. Um, and I'm sure every one of us has come across at least one of those lesson posts from a teacher trying to show their students that once you put something on the Internet, it's there for life. It does oh, not yeah. go away no matter how much you try to get mm-hmm. away with it. And I yeah. work in IT, and I can tell you, if you put something on the Internet, I don't care how many times you de- you delete it, I promise you there's a copy out there.
3: <laughs> yeah, I believe you. I believe you.
4: So I think that we've gotten to this point where we're almost numb to that anticipation of meeting someone face-to-face. Because social media has made it so easy to be friends with people halfway mm-hmm. around the world. I mean, oh, yeah. if you remember growing up, you know, before the internet. You know, I'm probably dating myself here, but growing up before the internet. Well, I know we
3: can't ask, ask you that question, right? I see that answer that question.
4: You can ask all you want, but that's the one question <laughs> I will not answer. Okay. <laughs> like I say in my book, I'm 29 until I tell you otherwise. So I'm sorry I
3: interrupted you. I I apologize. No, that's quite all
4: right. That's it's conversation. It's supposed to be interrupted. So my when I was growing up, and and I'll admit that you know I grew up on military bases, so. It wasn't the same for me. We didn't have internet connectivity. We didn't have all of these things. I remember, you know, you came in when the when the streetlights came on. You had to be home, and you know, you didn't have friends halfway around the world that you mm-hmm. talked to every single day. I mean, you know, fast forward to today, I, I think I have more friends in other countries than I do in this country. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I talk to them more often than I do the people that are closest to me physically simply because it's easier to talk to them. I keep very odd nocturnal hours, so it's easier for me to talk to my friends who live in London or my friends wow. who live in Japan. Phone, how many
2: phone numbers <laughs> do you remember, Nicole?
4: <laughs> you know, it's really funny because I actually have to look in my phone to to remember my own phone number. Because we live on speed dial. I mean, we drive mm. in our cars and we say, call mom. Yeah. I, I, For the life yeah. of me, my mother's had the same phone number for going on 20 years now. I could not tell you what her phone number is if you asked. I'd have to look yeah, like- it up in my phone.
2: Well, that goes back to our little dating thing, you know, when you back back then, and I don't want to date myself either, you know, we used to remember people's phone numbers, and if we had a girlfriend, nine times out of ten, we definitely would have remembered her phone number.
3: That's but, right, yeah.
2: Like said, with the internet and the cell phones and all the little techie toys we got to play with now, nobody remembers maybe ten numbers off the top of their head.
3: Yeah, you're right. That's right. Well,
4: and I think well, that I wonder... as technology has advanced, we've we've almost become cocooned, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. we really we've almost detached ourselves to that deep connection that we used to have just friends and family and things like that because technology has pushed us so far ahead. I'm not saying technology is bad because I'd probably die without my gadgets, but <laughs> it 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 does have its downside, and we just need to be aware of it.
2: Yeah, it definitely makes us uh, detached to some extent from society. But Nicole, tell me, what is your 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 thoughts on uh, what it says? Uh, sharing intimate thoughts with virtual strangers. Do You think it's easier for people to do that than with someone they know?
4: Well, I actually know for a fact that it is. Because um, part of my book was I put up a survey and asked people to anonymously answer questions about sex. And I found that when I had asked people to give me their information, I didn't get very many people answering. But as soon as I said, don't tell me your email address, don't tell me where you're you're from, don't tell me any information unless you want to – I got people telling me deep, dark secrets that they probably would never share with other people. And I think that, in my opinion, and it's just an opinion, that when I gave people a mask to hide behind so people couldn't see their face, it was so much easier to divulge all that information. It's mm-hmm. almost, yeah. It was almost like going to the confessional where the priest never yeah. sees your face. You could mm-hmm. tell him anything, and he'd give you your absolution, and you walk out, and nobody knows right. it was you.
2: Exactly. So
4: it was kind of the same thought.
2: Mm-hmm. So they could be disturbed as they want to be, and it don't matter.
4: And they are very disturbed, just so you know. They are very, very disturbed. <laughs>
3: They for these Oh,
4: there are so many disturbing thoughts that float around out there. You'd be surprised. There were things that I had to actually look up, and when I did, I went, oh, goodness.
2: So, Matthew, that means you have to change your name to protect the innocent.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good. I like that one.
3: I did change my name. He knows that. <laughs> my name wasn't always Matthew. That was when you know when when they were still looking for me. I changed the name to Matthew. They don't know where I am now. <laughs>
2: no, would you help well, me find out. Just keep talking. <laughs> yeah,
3: they'll find out. They'll, they'll do a look, voice recognition like, hey, like look, my name would be John Miller or something like that. Look.
2: Just keep talking. They won't have to look on the milk carton any longer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's funny. Nicole, you got this thing here that says, does sex really sell? I'm really interested in that.
4: You know, it's really funny because if you just say that to any, any person, if I said to you sex sells, you would say, yes, it does, because every commercial that you see with uh, within the last 25, 30 years – has some degree of sex or sensuality, or plays upon that whole nature in our in our being um, to sell the product that it's selling. The interesting thing is, is the reason that that advertisers do it is because we're predisposed to respond to sexual imagery, and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why advertisers use sex as a weapon, and they have been for over a hundred years and anybody who's a celebrity celebutante or ceo any of those things knows that if they've got something that they want to say or they want their voice to be heard or they want their brand recognized all they really have to do is say something provocative or strip down or make a suggestive pose and they're going to get airtime because you know if it bleeds it leads and it's kind of the same thing with sex if it's naked put it on the set the interesting thing is is that Science behind it doesn't lie. Sexy ads do not help brand recall. And a lot of people just don't get it. They think, oh, well, sex sales, so if I want to sell my product, I'm going to put a sexy girl or a sexy guy with it, and it's going to sell. And the truth is, is think back on some of the, the sexiest commercials that are out there, and I use these as an example because they're the ones that I remember the most. Hardee's, they sell fast food. They sell hamburgers. Their commercials are famous because they have these beautiful men and women eating these humongous hamburgers in a very suggestive way. The interesting thing is, is when they showed the same commercial taking out all the brand recognition and just showed them to regular consumers that had seen these commercials many times before, they could not tell the researchers
2: what Mm -hmm. company it was for. Yeah, They had no idea.
4: They knew it was fast food, but... There was no brand recall. So really, the truth of the matter is, is sex may sell. The thing is, is it's a fine line. When you get to that point where it's oversexed, our minds just shut down and become numb to it, and we don't recognize the brands at all. So So now, now,
3: we don't really know now whether we should put a picture of Lamont on our website or not.
4: Well, there should always be a picture of Lamont on the website. <laughs> 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 but
2: they should the always fun be.
4: Right. When you look at like the Super Bowl ads, and the interesting uh-huh. thing that I found about those is the researchers looked at those, and only thirty percent of those ads contain sexy images or those double entendres, and they were rated lower than the more family-friendly ones. Um, by a full thirty percent. So, the truth of the matter is, is I think that the American consumer, and internationally of course, but this was an American study, so I can only quote for Americans. It it really doesn't sell. We're overloaded with the sexual imagery. imagery mm-hmm. We get it. You've got a sexy girl in your ad, or you've got a sexy gentleman in your ad. We don't care anymore. My favorite commercial, and I, and you probably love this commercial too, is the Volkswagen ad where the little kid is dressed like Darth Vader and his dad turns the car on from the house and the kid thinks he starts the yeah. car.
2: Yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh-huh.
4: And it has no sex in it. And everybody remembers that it was a Volkswagen ad, not just a car ad, just a Volkswagen ad. And it made it's sense. A, yeah. And you see that a, ads are starting to turn the tide. They're dropping that sex imagery, and they're starting to go with funny or creative or even wholesome and family-friendly ads because they're starting to mm-hmm. realize that sex really doesn't sell.
2: Nicole, I have a question, too. I mean, a question, twofold question, and partly an observation, too, because I was going to ask, too, um, in your opinion, how is sex and television film contributed to the current view of sex and relationships. and I was talking to some of my friends the other day and we happened to observe um, actually, I was watching cartoons. I watched Family Guy and American Dad because I like their writers. and um, you know, we were noticing all this homosexual activity, In cartoons, even though this was a gay cartoon—I mean, an adult cartoon—but we've been seeing it more and more in uh, television ads and commercials that we didn't see in the past. And I mean, how is that? You're absolutely right. How do you feel about that?
4: Well, I I, personally—I—I tend to not judge people by by whatever their their sexual status is. I look at it my philosophy is it's not in my bed so it's not my business. But I understand exactly what you're saying. I happen to enjoy watching Family Guy and American Dad myself and they're very funny. Um but the truth is is I it, you you go back and I and I compare like TV shows from the 50s and the 60s to television shows now. There were things like you had the early days of television where the the censor boards Ruled with an iron fist. They didn't even share beds. There was no words that ever led to sex. You couldn't even say the word pregnancy. Everybody remembers when I Love Lucy. She was pregnant, and they couldn't say that she was pregnant. They had. They mm-hmm. said she was infanticipating. Um So it was taboo to even say the word. And and now we've got you know basically you could turn your television on and order porn off your television. So, and a lot of that came from the early 60s, well, the late 50s and early 60s with the sexual revolution. And it basically got rid of the censor boards and started saying, it's, you know, I remember in the early days of television, you you couldn't even say a dirty word. I mean, it was a big thing in Gone with the Wind when, you know, the last line of the movie is, you know, I don't give a damn. You can't even say the word, you know, damn. And now you know you can watch regular cable television and not just not just like network television but even just cable television, even before seven o'clock you can you can definitely hear four letter curse words or what we would consider curse words, and it's almost commonplace now and in my opinion, I think that part of the sexual revolution was was to try and homogenize everything and make it acceptable for people to be more comfortable in seeing these things like, you know, um, gay couples and adopting and, you know, all these different types of family environments and trying to show that, you know, Whatever your preference is, it doesn't matter. We're all homogenized. We're all people. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so prevalent right now is that they feel like, okay, this is something that we need to get the American public ready for. So we're going to put it on television so people get comfortable with it. Once they're comfortable with that, we're going to move on to something else. I figure at some point they're going to put aliens on television so we can get ready for the you know alien overlords to take over. <laughs> wow.
2: That's good. So, I So, the, I, so uh, they I, they prepping us for all of this stuff to come, huh?
4: Well, you i get, well, get ready you, for it. Exactly. If you look back, you look at television, it's almost like a timeline of things that they're trying to get you ready for. You look at the early 50s, and you started seeing um, stronger women characters, which led the way for the 60s for the sexual revolution. Then you started seeing women in the workplace, which was part of the women's movement and feminism, to get women out there and put them forefront. I mean, Mary Tyler Moore Show, first, you know, the first woman who was single and had a job you know, and it moved on from there. Then you, you get to the 70s and the 80s, and you start seeing different dynamics in families where both the mom and dad work or just the mom works and the dad stays home. You've got different dynamics. And I think I think television is trying to reflect <laughs> those Uh-oh. issues that we see and trying to it homogenize c- them so we accept them and put them in a well, more palatable a format. Com- about- it, it come
2: to, here come the new mom, John and Tom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: That's, no, those are dads. Oh, okay. <laughs> two dads. John and Tom. <laughs> I think that well, this And they've whole already issue had a show about, like that
4: with two dads.
3: Yeah, that's right. I, I think that this whole issue about what what drives the media, particularly in the subject of sexuality, although we could talk about any other issue, but particularly since we're on that subject tonight, um, about does the media, what's your thought, Nicole, about does the media create the topic or is the public creating the topic and the media is simply giving back to the public what they seem to want? What What's your opinion about that kind of, I think that's a, an ongoing conversation.
4: You know, it, it's almost the chicken and the egg there because <laughs> I'm not sure which one comes first. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of people writers will identify things in in you know in their environment that they think need to be addressed um and for the most part i think that the media drives a lot of the issues because they tend to make them a lot bigger than they need to be um i think a lot of it comes from from the news, the media, and what the people who are writing for televisions they want to address because that's their platform. Just like I would address something that was important to me in in my writing in my book, um, I think that's that's why it's being driven that way. So it's I, I honestly think it's coming from the writers and the the media driving it, but it, it I mean it's still social issues and. People are going to address what they see. So, I mean, it's again, it's the chicken and the egg. I mean, it's one of them had to come first. I'm just not sure which one was. You first. know,
3: I, I wonder if one does have to come first because it, it's such a an interactive uh, kind of relationship. If if the media introduces something to public and they don't want to watch it, then the media's got to change it fast. You know, if if, if they're not going to say, "Oh yeah, I want to watch that," they're going to lose ratings. And as soon as that happens, and I honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why there's not better television is because the the public doesn't seem to respond real well to more in-depth, uh, kind of mature uh, subject matter. And often it's no matter who's watching, it's sort of adolescent-related. In terms of its approach Um, I think the public is just
2: slow on moving, period Just like we see it in a lot of political issues Mm -hmm. They have this this thing that Well, if I speak up, it it probably won't do any good anyway Or if I try to change Mm -hmm. something It probably won't do any good anyway So they're kind of slow into moving To get to effect change
4: well and, well, and I me- agree with you both. I think that I think that people try to put intellectual television on, and I think that we've become a public of media sound bites. And if yeah. it, honestly, I think when it comes to television, we all have ADD because. You know, I, I know me and my friends were very particular. If a show comes on that we think might be interesting, we go with the three the three episode rule. The first episode is always going to be hook the hook the viewer and and suck them in. The second one's always going to be character development. The third one is going to give you a good idea of what the rest of the season is going to be like. But most people mm-hmm. never make it past the first episode, because the character development drives people crazy. And there's not a lot of writers out there that can, can nuance that character development. So it's not slow and tedious because it is slow and tedious.
3: That's a good point. That's a good point. Can we talk a moment about uh, sex education in schools? I'm interested in, and I know that you've made some comments and about that and, You've been comparing uh, the European sensibility to that, to the American, and I think we have all kinds of confusion in America about how much we should tell our children about sex and where they should be told. Should it be told in the home by the parents? Should it be told by teachers in school? Um, can you can you comment a little bit about that, Nicole?
4: Oh, I could comment for hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to be brief. <laughs> I will say that. No, no, we
3: want more than a bite here on this one. This oh
4: yes, good. no, I, I will definitely. I try to give a very concise um, summary of of what I think. Um, and and to understand my point of view, I have to I have to point out that my mother is German. She was born and raised in Germany. She came to this country after marrying my father, who was in the military. She didn't speak a word of English when she got here. She taught herself how to speak English. She's an amazing woman, and I love her to death. So the thing that I love most about my mother is that she has that European sensibility when it comes to difficult topics and not just sex. Um, In my opinion, there are three topics that – and i'm and i'm in the south so i i am a southerner so there are three topics you never talk about and that's politics religion and sex and those are the three topics that my mother loves to talk about so i never had that problem <laughs> <laughs> she was very vocal about those things she feels that there is no topic too big or too small that you shouldn't discuss with someone especially when you care about them because that's that's where you should feel safe so, to, in my opinion, I remember my mother sat me down and told me about the birds and the bees in more detail than any child should ever have to hear from their mother. Um, <laughs> and I remember How old when you I, heard that story? I was, I was 10. Okay. And a lot of people, when when I started asking my friends about it, I said, well, you know, when did you know? And they were like, I, I think I was 14. And you you knew when you were 10? I was like, yeah, uh, oh, why is that too soon? And they were like, yeah, they don't even teach sex ed until you get to like the ninth or 10th grade, which would be around age 14 or 15. Well, when I started Matthew looking w- at this, Matthew,
2: especially... Matthew wanted to know how you were when you heard the story, and I want to know what the story was.
4: <laughs> the story was very, very in-depth. My mother pulled out a medical book, and she showed me the difference between a man and a woman. And she said, you know, she started talking about, you know, a woman's menstrual cycle. She started talking about men's urges and that, you know, puberty comes around this time frame and that every woman and man is different. Puberty hits them at different different things. And, um, you know, she was very in-depth, and then she went into, you know, and sex... This is what happens in sex. And you can imagine what the look on my face was at that point. It was kind of like, uh, why are you telling me this? I'm 10. I'm still playing with Barbie dolls. She She
2: didn't have a chalkboard and a pointer, did she?
4: You know, she was that shy of it. But she was very detailed. And she, you know, it's really funny because, even though she didn't use words like you know penis and vagina the big you know the big medical terms i mean i still felt like i understood it and she looked me square in the eye when she was finished and she said i understand that you know you haven't gotten to that point yet i just want you to know that it's coming and i don't want you to be frightened when it happens and if you have questions you can always come to me and ask and i felt violated first of all <laughs> But comforted at the fact that my mother was so incredibly open and honest. And when I did have questions, I did go to her, and she answered them without – well, there was giggling, but it was me. But she answered them, and if she didn't know the answer, she found the answer for me so that I didn't have to ask anyone else. But I remember by the time I got to my sex ed class, I was like, yeah, my mom already told me all this. My mom already told Mm -hmm. me all this. I'm like, by the way, this is the correct answer to that. You're wrong. So (laughs) I I was a joy.
3: Nicole, Nicole, if we put you in charge of the American educational system, at what age would you start really having those kind of conversations in the school system with children? What would you say?
4: Well, if I were to answer that question, I would think that sex education should be an ongoing process so that Mm -hmm. a child doesn't get overloaded. Um, And I think that, age 10 or 11 is a good time to start talking about puberty because some some kids hit puberty early. Some kids hit it later in life. Um, And it's a good time to start telling little boys and little girls that, you know, your bodies are different, especially when you've got, you know, kids are getting younger and younger when they're experimenting with sex. And to know that they have an open, honest conversation with a teacher or with someone that they can trust Um, But ultimately, I I think it falls on the parents because I think that we should be able to have an open, honest dialogue with our own children to explain to them the things that are going to happen.
3: who's going to (laughs) teach them? Who's going to teach the parents?
4: And if the parent doesn't feel comfortable or doesn't feel that they, they have a comprehensive education, then I think that that's where the school should pick up the torch and make sure that kids are prepared for sex so that you don't have these these 13 and 14 year old girls getting pregnant or or you know I, there was a story the other day out of Florida about some young child who is having multiple sex partners in the school bathroom
2: mm-hmm.
4: and yep. I was appalled by this mm-hmm. because well first of all I, apparently the girl had been brought over via sex trafficking which is a an appalling in its own but the fact that, you know, these these young boys were like, okay, that's great. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, I, I think that we should teach our young people to have more respect for not only themselves, but also for their other peers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would hope that my child would never, you know, be given that kind of an offer. And if they were, that they would say, you know what, not my thing. Thanks. <laughs> but... I mean, and that's where I think that we have fallen short. We we look at the human body and Americans will see a naked person and it's immediately porn. And I think that that's the wrong knee-jerk reaction for us to have because we've all come into this world the exact same way. It's by sex. If anybody has any doubt, let me clear that up. You well, let here me by ask that.
3: you a, a, a really hard well, a question. I think is probably really hard to answer unless you're going to really surprise me here. But <clears throat> how do you decide what's pornography and what's not?
4: You know, I look at I look at art. If I see like like a nude in art, if it's you know a woman sitting there with her with a naked breast. And it's just mm-hmm. a woman, to me, that's nudity. There is there is a difference between nudity and pornography. I think mm-hmm. that when you look at a picture that's it's just someone who's nude, that's that's fine. There's no problem with that. We all have naked bodies. We've all seen them. When it becomes pornography is when it depicts a sexual act or... Gives you the impression that there's a sexual act going on, and it, that seems like a little bit of a vague way of answering the question. That
2: but, was an excellent you know, way of answering the question. I couldn't answer that know, better it, myself.
4: Because <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's Raphael who painted um, it's it's woman nude on rock, and she's sitting there. The only thing you can see is is her backside, and there's a young boy that's whispering in her ear and her head is tilted to the side. To me, that's almost romantic. It's not a sexual act because it doesn't give the impression that it's, it's meant to be sexual. And I think that we can make the definition between nudity and pornography. I mean, I think, what was it, the Supreme Court, Justin Warren, says, I don't know what pornography is, but I know when I see it. How does the guy at the bookstore know what to sell?
3: Right, that's my question. That's a hard And I, I I think I think your answer was was good. I agree with with uh what's his name on the other side I know the one. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I You know I, it's amazing uh,
2: cuz you can go through Beverly Hills and you can look at a lot of these big uh um multi-million dollar homes and you look at a lot of the artworks, a lot of the statues that they have out in the front and and they're all nude statues.
4: Exactly, and it's considered fine art, no less. And why shouldn't why shouldn't we look at the body that God designed and not say it's art? It is art because we are beautiful. I mean, if you've ever seen anything about the circulatory system, it's amazing.
3: <laughs> well, I so agree you about that. I, I think that that if that it looks like to me that that we've taken a swing in the far opposite direction from the sort of original puritanical roots that established attitudes about sexuality in America. And we've gone really to the other side. And so it's like you can find anything about sex you want online now uh, on any level. And I'm wondering if once we that we may get tired of that at some point and begin to drift back towards a balanced attitude uh, a sense of art about the body a sense of sacredness a sense of uh as you said it, it's a creation that is magnificent on every level absolutely and,
2: um, how, how many thinking un- of how just how do you unring a bell Matthew how do you unring a bell? Seems like I see a lot of damage has already been done. Seems like our children have been exposed to too much too quick.
4: Now, see, I have a perfect anecdote for this. When I was 16, my mother took me to Germany for the first time. I'd never been out of the country before because her mother was passing away and she wanted me to meet my grandmother before she died. When I landed in Frankfurt, I was aghast when I saw that there was literally naked women in photographs all over the airport, and I was freaking out. And my mother turned to me and she said, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, Mom, all this pornography. She's like, that's not pornography. It's just nudity. What's wrong with you? The truth of the matter is is that my sensibilities were so heightened that if I saw any any picture that had any nudity in it, I immediately equated it to to pornography. Once I got past the fact that it wasn't pornography, I was comfortable with it. I I'm people walking around on nude beaches don't bother me because it's just nudity. It's
3: once well, we Lamont, get past I, I think that. The answer the answer to Lamont's question might be talking to us right now and that is Nicole was telling us that that she was introduced to sexuality early on with far more information than she really wanted and then went through all these kind of developments but now we're talking to a person who thinks very deeply and about the subject and to me it sounds like in a really highly productive way so I'm thinking if we go too far to one side, we can come back. And, and yes, you're exactly right, Lamont. Some damage gets done in the process. I know that there are kids who, you know, you know, a lot of them are going to come in and talk to me for years. Well, uh, yeah, kid. the
2: early, the, er, the early pregnancies, the STDs, and stuff like that, because yeah, they absolutely. they didn't get. Uh, the mm-hmm. uh, proper information, or should I say, they were taught mm-hmm. misinformation. Yes. And and they they just went out there just trying stuff, and now they got a situation well, that they have to deal with for the rest of their
3: life. Now all three of us have southern roots, so I want to I want to do the thing that Nicole said they don't do in the south. Can we bring religion into this for a moment, Nicole?
4: Absolutely, I have no problem okay. with that.
3: Okay, I thought you'd say yes um <laughs> my question is is this it's pretty it's hard for me to, to exactly say it the way I want to, but i I'm thinking that when when Lamont said just a moment ago about misinformation i, I I'm not of the impression that in in general religion in this country makes much of a helpful contribution to this conversation. I'd really like to hear your opinion about that.
4: Well, I happen to agree with you on that particular point. I don't think that for this particular subject that religion adds to the discussion. However, I will say this. It is my personal belief that you can still have a belief in faith in God and still have open and honest discussions about difficult subjects because my philosophy of this is is that I would much rather have my children sit with me and force myself to have a difficult conversation with my child than for my child to go out on the street and talk to to their little hoodlum friends and get the wrong information I would much rather do like my mother did and said okay you know this is very uncomfortable for me this is very uncomfortable for you but we're going to talk about this because I'm, I'm your mother, your and I love you. <laughs> I'm your what mother, you and I love you. And guess what? That's how you got here anyway.
3: <laughs> Lamont, what did you say?
2: Sit down. I'm going <laughs> to like shock your said.
4: butt. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, hey, I think talk
1: about that it it's tech. okay
4: to have both. It's okay to have religion. and And – Actually, my mother's response to it was perfect because I asked, you know, I asked the same question. I mean, I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I know, scary, right? Mm -hmm.
3: No, that's what I (laughs) figured with a name like Delacroix. I figured it probably was Catholic. So.
4: Oh yes, oh yes. There's the whole Catholic there, and of course, you know, I went to an all-girls school too, so that was even more fun for me. But my mother, (laughs) when I asked her, I said, "But mom, doesn't the Bible say that?" That that it's wrong, and she said, she said, you know, sweetie, the Bible is a great book, and you should take everything that you can from it. But you also have to remember that that book was written two thousand years ago, and things have changed.
3: Wow, well, depending on well, your mother was, was, was a pretty liberated day. thinker. There, uh, she was. She was pretty. Encourage- she's still alive.
4: Oh yes, she is, and she's God still bless just her. as liberal.
3: God bless her. She's she's a very liberated thinking person. I, I I think that's great that she was she had such wonderful things that she shared with you. I, I really think that you know this whole attitude about sex, combined with the paternalistic attitude that goes on in, in in Catholicism, is you know why all this stuff about sex with little children and boys and things has been going on, has been hidden so much is they don't want to look bad and wrong, but in addition to it, sex is not something that's supposed to be part of the process. And from a point of view of Eastern religions, Hinduism, for example, sexuality is can be a, a powerful tool for spiritual development, even a path. And so... I think it's a good thing that we're starting to have a kind of a cross pollination of conversation between religions now, especially. I, I didn't grow up Catholic; I grew up Southern Baptist, so you know that's that's pretty I intense. Them, I experienced Well, that's okay. You both. can be
2: in
4: my support group.
3: You both of them. <laughs> yeah, I experienced them both when I first
2: when I first moved <laughs> to California. The first school I went to Ooh. was a Catholic school. Wow. Yeah. Oh boy. Well and I have to say this much.
4: I think that I think religion should be about should be about the spirit. But everything outside of the spirit should fall under a different category because it shouldn't it shouldn't determine the the things that we that we believe about sex or technology because those things didn't really have the same impact during the time of the bible. So, I think that I think parents should be a little bit more open and liberated in talking about sex because I mean, honestly, look at where we are now from not talking about it.
2: Well, I guess we're through talking about the Bible, because if we weren't, I'd say we're, we're in some sad times. Boy, we want to go back to that one and think about where we are today. <laughs>
4: That's true. But again, you know, it goes back to that whole, you need to embrace the spirit of the Bible, so to speak. And, you know, it's, I mean,
2: it, That's why it goes I'm back scared. to that
4: whole, I've been you know, we can't the spirit. Leviticus anymore. <laughs> Cause we can't do Leviticus, because you know, I I don't want to stone my brother at the at the castle gates, and and you know, I re- I really just don't think that I'm going to sell my daughter into prostitution. I just, you know, some of those things are outdated, and we need to realize that.
3: Oh, well, I think you make a good point. I think though that I think when we talk about sex, and and one of the things that I've I've said to a lot of Couples that I've worked with over the years, and particularly these days, since I have such a major focus on romantic relationships, is that when two people have sex, I'm encouraging the single people in particular that I work with to spend time really getting to know in depth the other person emotionally so that by the time they get naked physically, there's the possibility of. Real intimacy Otherwise what happens is When it's sex and people don't really know each other It's more like mutual masturbation You know I'm using my body Your body to get off And you use my body to get off And it doesn't It never takes a couple any place Whereas sexuality When you have love and intimacy involved Can be an incredibly Spiritual experience And I totally
4: agree with you there
3: because
4: I, I I mean, for me it's you know, I, I'm picky about what shoes I wear. I'm gonna be that much more picky about, you know, getting naked in front of somebody. But I, I and you know, I can I can only imagine the emptiness somebody would feel after having sex with someone and that person never wanting to see them again. That that would leave somebody feeling so empty and so shallow. And I personally don't want to feel that way. I would hope that my children don't want to feel that way. And I don't well, think, I think I'd want to be an, around anybody that wants you, to feel like I think, that.
3: And I think um, – so, so in terms of using the Internet and this, these easier ways we have of beginning to have connection to other people, um, can you do you have thoughts about uh, Internet dating and, and how it relates to – Sexuality and connection to other people. Oh, So that yeah. just asked another really big question. <laughs> she she, she <laughs> and hesitated and she said, question. "Oh, no,
4: really not?"
2: <laughs> well,
4: and I, th- I think we're kind <laughs> of in uncharted territory. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: well, I,
4: I, it is a big question, but I'm not scared of those. So I, I, okay. the thing is, is that. The thing that I have found, especially, and, you know, and I've, I've made a point, I've, I've got a presence in social media mostly because my book revolves around social media. So, And I do talk to the people that I know on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. And it's interesting that I you have these in-person meetings with virtual strangers. And, you know, the things like catfishing and cyberstalking, they're so prevalent. And, you know, I think that there's, Scripted conversations, and you've got predators. They
2: catfishing Nicole. I'm sorry. What's (laughs) catfishing? What's that?
4: Catfishing (laughs) is where, like, say say um you're you're a, a a gentleman and you're looking for a female companion and like say you put your you put yourself on a dating site and you fu- you get matched with someone that you think is a perfect match with you and then you start talking to that person and getting to know that person and when you finally try to meet that person you find out that the whole time you've been talking to a dude
2: <laughs> so that's called that's, that's called catfishing. Cat
3: <laughs> yeah. you made his day. He's going to laugh about that for a whole uh, week. He's going to be. So on I've that never one. heard that
2: Lester term. Degree. I've never heard that before.
3: <laughs> well,
2: there's a whole show
4: about it on MTV. It's hilarious. And to a lesser degree, you get you get people who try to be something that they're not online. Um, like you know, they'll, they'll use perfect example. Dating sites are like so ripe for this. You look at a person's picture. I've actually, I've been on Match.com before, um, and and it was mostly for research purposes. (laughs) I was not looking for a date. It was interesting because I would see these pictures of these guys. (laughs) I would see these pictures of these guys that were matched with me, and I would start talking to them, and, and I'd be like, well, that's a really nice picture of you, like you were hiking or something. Do you hike a lot? And they'll be like, oh, that was from 10 years ago. I'm like, okay, well, that's what you looked like 10 years ago, but why did you use that picture? So that's also a a minor
3: version of catfishing, right?
4: It is, and and a lot of people do that. To
3: misrepresent yourself and get someone interested, and then they find out and they're let down. I don't know why catfish get blamed on that one.
4: Well, because they're kind of a letdown sometimes. (laughs) I, I think it has more to do with the fact that catfish are bottom feeders. You know, they, they so, like the mud so at the bottom and, of it. That men and
2: difference. women both do this, right? Or is this just oh, absolutely. Men that do this? Oh, absolutely.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's men and women that do it. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, is that when we take a picture of ourselves, we don't, you know, it's why it's why we have filters. Because we're so obsessed with what we look like. Because that's what matters in in this world, is what you look like. That's why... You know, I love when when I do radio interviews and everything like that because if somebody saw me right now, they'd be like, whoa. I, I mean, I've got my hair in the Pebbles ponytail. I'm wearing my glasses so I can see. I think I'm wearing yoga pants, and I'm wearing my pajamas because it's great. It's great to be able to do your job in your pajamas. But in a video interview, of course, you know, full hair and makeup, and, you know, I'm wearing a nice dress.
2: Oh, we got the visual. I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really uh yoga pants and, and what else you say pajamas <laughs> oh, too yeah, I'm wearing PJs I, and a pebble on.
4: ponytail and no makeup glasses on and, and I'm okay with that I have no problem with it <laughs> don't mind I, I, I'm not obsessed with the way I look most of the time but you know that's that's where we are We we're obsessed with the way we look but to get back to your original question mm-hmm. there's there's so many different, and, I, and please excuse some of the things that I'm going to say because, unfortunately, there's no other way to say it. But you've got teens today that are obsessed with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and the list just goes on forever. There, there's no dating anymore. I mean, when you look back at, like, old movies where, you know, the guy would say, let's go for a soda, they went down to the malt shop, and had. A, there's none of that anymore. What they do is they hook up and young boys will press girls to send them nude photos. If that girl doesn't send it to them, they'll just find another girl that will. They they base their self-worth on how many likes or how many how many comments they get for picture. I mean, there's no search for a deep and meaningful relationship. Kids today oral sex is a commonplace thing uh, and and it's to the point where they say, oh, well, I've only had oral sex, so I'm still a virgin. Or even anal sex, I'm still a virgin. And and well, to know, me, it's know, like, if you're doing a sexual act, you're not a virgin anymore.
3: Well, you know, Bill Bill got us all confused about that, so, you know.
4: well, Yes, we will blame him for that one. That is definitely his fault.
3: It about the oral stuff, is. I'm not going to blame the other stuff on him, but but i i think that you're making a really good point and i think it's is so important for us to encourage young people but also people of any age because this whole idea of really making meaningful contact with another person is kind of across the board no matter what age we are an incredibly important part relationship and one of my favorite poets david white who's contemporary uh he has this whole piece where he talks about when we truly have meaningful conversation with another person both of us are changed in the process and so really making contact with another human being at a at a depth is a I don't I hate to use the word transforming because it's thrown around so much, but it is highly meaningful and gives us something as well as what we're giving to others. And when we bring that to sex, it takes sexuality to an incredibly different and special kind of space. And I'm glad that people like you are out there thinking about these things and putting this information out because I think it, It helps us have a more educated and sensitive view about the subject.
4: Oh, absolutely. And I think just to add to what you were saying is is I think that that technology has come a long way, and I think that Mm -hmm. as adults it behooves us to keep up with what our kids are doing. Um, The more involved we are as parents, the more we'll understand and be there for our kids because we have to be because if we're not, the predators are. And if you don't know what's going on on Snapchat and Tinder and if you're not keeping up with technology, you need to start.
3: (laughs) I think that's really good advice. Versus that's excellent, bars.
2: excellent, excellent point. And you find that a lot of a lot of uh, seniors, for some reason, they are afraid of technology. They are not very computer-lit as they should be, so it's kind of hard for them to keep track of what their kids are doing, and the kids know that.
4: That's true, and that's it's almost how we used to, <laughs> I remember when I was hiding things in my diary, until my mother figured out how to pick the lock and read it. Um so <laughs> you know now I have really good passwords on on all my emails so she can't get into that but you know my mother is a great example because she is ready for the grandkids because she knows more about computers than I do. And I work in IT. She she teaches herself everything because she keeps involved and she wants to learn. So, you know, like when I start talking about, hey, you know, mom, I'm thinking about getting, you know, a new router to do this. And she'll be like, what does that do? How does that work? And then she'll start looking at it and she'll start, no, you, what you need to do is buy this. And she started telling me <laughs> what I need to buy. And she's she's way ahead of me when it comes to Tinder and Snapchat and all of that. I'm like, ugh, that's just too much. It's too much. But, you know, again, it goes back to if you're involved with your kids and your kids know that you are there for them, you should always be that safe haven for them no matter what, regardless of what it is. Because if your child is in trouble emotionally, spiritually, or physically, you should be the one person that they could always come to. And you know, no matter how old I get, I know my mother's there for me. I could call her at the drop of a hat and she's there.
3: Well, that's a sign of a really beautiful relationship between a mother and a daughter. That's that's great testimony to her.
4: Absolutely. As long as she doesn't talk about sex anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, she'll just tell you what program to turn to and you can watch it
4: well you know i've I've had enough therapy for that. I don't want to go through therapy for it again <laughs> We'll just turn We'll
2: just turn on American Dad, a family guy. There you go.
4: <laughs> but I think that you know we have to be open to to speaking about provocative things, and you know I would much rather have a difficult conversation with my child than to have that difficult conversation with the police officer that's just arrested them.
3: That is so very well, true. that's well, a good point. I think that's that's great. Oh,
2: great. Hey, well, let me jump in here, guys. Nicole, we're down to the last minute and a half of the show, but before we go, will you please tell our listeners where they can go get your book and your contact information?
4: Absolutely. Again, the book is called Sexual Confessional Confidential Admissions from Social Media. And yes, it is a very cheeky, funny look at sex, but it has got some pearls of wisdom in there it is available on any of the online booksellers amazon.com barnes and noble you can get a copy both paperback and ebook and right now it's on sale in the kindle store and you can get all my social media off of my website which is www.nicole-delacroix.com nicole
3: Nicole, it's been a joy talking to you thank you so much for being here today
4: well, I thank you both for having me. It's been such a wonderful conversation. And any time you guys want me back, just give me a ring.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. We, and we're
2: definitely going to do that because I know we should, we got some other listeners out there that you need to tell never, never, never to touch themselves.
4: <laughs> now, I'm an advocate for self-love because if you don't love yourself, how can you love other people? <laughs>
2: And that's what you call safe sex I got it That is right
4: You can't get a disease from that But you can go blind
2: <laughs> do will be talking about Matthew's extra thick glasses <laughs> Well that's okay He loves himself You guys have a wonderful Two years of therapy Right there <laughs> Thank you.
0: feet above the trees in a hot air balloon your significant other gets down on one knee and pulls out a box containing a ring you realize that this is the magic moment you've been looking forward to because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 cla coupe at your authorized mercedes-benz dealer with its sleek silhouette unrivaled performance and technology the cla is your dream ride visit mbusa.com cla to learn more mercedes-benz the best for nothing The mighty blue Marlin. You've battled for two solid hours. He jumps again. He's almost at the side of the boat. It's the moment of truth. Because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 Mercedes-Benz GLC. With a smooth 9-speed transmission, it loves to run. Set course for your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. Visit MBUSA.com slash GLC to learn more. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing.